0: Thanks for checking out this podcast from Christ Church of Ornogo. Our hope is that it helps you discover completeness in Jesus. Now for this week's teaching. Okay, we're going to go ahead and get started. I think most everyone is here. Um, first thing I wanted to do is we got a uh, note from Shirley this week, and I just wanted to read this um, as, a, as a thank you to you all for praying for her mom. Uh, surgery went, went well. She's doing okay. Um, she's going to be staying at Freeman until Monday, then go to Freeman East for rehab, um, where she'll be there for a week. So we are grateful that uh, surgery went well. We're grateful that uh, she seems to be doing well. So please continue to pray for her and Brittany. How did the job interview go? It went really well. Good. Uh huh. Great. So please continue to pray. For Brittany for uh, a job and we will I just what I'll try and do is give you updates at the beginning if I have them and then we'll ask for more at the end of end of class. So apparently um, my wife told somebody in this class not to do their homework because she gave them other homework so I hope that I'm just I'm teasing. What we're going to do is we're going to start off with a, a bit of a review um, from last week. Part of the uh, You know, repetition is the best teacher, right? As long as you continue to do things, continue to hear things, you tend to learn. So what I wanted to do is just sort of review where we were, what we had talked about. Does anybody remember, last week we talked about, there were three S's that we're going to be looking at in this class. Uh, Scenes is one of them, I'll I'll give you that. Does anybody remember the first two? Go ahead, just shout out. Okay, structure and story. So last week we started talking about the story. I put up here meta narrative. Sometimes you will hear that. I, Joe pointed that Joe uh, pointed that out to me. We should have a a hyphen in there. Oh, can somebody get help Sally? Kathy, do you mind? Sally, Kathy's coming. Uh, Meta-narrative is just a fancy word that means story. It's just a big overarching idea. A narrative is a story. Meta means big. And so what we're saying is there is a big overarching story that covers the reality of what scripture is. Oh, you're making room over there. Sorry. While I rearrange the furniture. Um, So, we talked about that, and then we sort of defined metanarrative using two words, and I've put them up there, so I'm not going to ask you what they are, because I'm guessing you know how to read, redemptive, and then historical. We did not define them, and that was by design, because I really wanted to do that this week. So, let's tackle this idea first. When we talk about a redemptive story, what are we saying Everyone's saying, this wasn't part of the homework. huh? What is a redemptive story? Every Hallmark movie. <laughs> you know, there, there's a joke in that, but every Hallmark movie, Kathy and I have the joke, because you can always tell when, when the misunderstanding happens, you know, they meet their love interest, there's a misunderstanding, and then they figure it out and they get back together or whatever. So yeah, that's every Hallmark, Hallmark movie ever. What is a redemptive story? How would you, if your children come up to you, uh, and I'm talking about little kids, you know, I don't know, eight, nine years old, mom, what's a redemptive story? Dad, what's a redemptive story? For some of you, you're like, well, I don't don't have kids that young. Grandkids, let's go with grandkids. (laughs) I don't have kids that young either. Randy, what's a redemptive story? It's a story of forgiveness. okay. Great. A story that has at the heart of it forgiveness? That's a, that's a loaded statement. If, if forgiveness is part of it, what then must precede the forgiveness? What? Failure? Failure? Guilt? So, here, I'll give you a, a um, theological definition, if you will. It refers to the necessity of divine action to free sinners from their sinfulness. Okay, When we're talking about a redemptive story, we're talking about the fact that God has to intervene in order to free sinners from their sinfulness. Now, a couple of key ideas in that, um, and I I don't want to dwell on this for a long time, but first of all, we talk about sinners. Uh, for, For those of you that have been in my class before, you will have heard me say this, and I always have to think about it, make sure I get it right. We are not sinners or or we are sinners, we are not sinners because we sin, we sin because we are sinners. In other words, we have this, I love Michael DeFazio's illustration of this, and everybody has been to Walmart and we've all gotten that cart that has the bum wheel, right? And you're pushing it along and it's constantly pulling and you're fighting it the whole time and if you put weight in the front it gets even worse. That is a beautiful picture of what it means to be sinful. We have this propensity to always pull us towards something. Now, the problem is we think of sin in terms of the things that we do. But really, God defines it in terms of rebellion. It's this disobedience, this unwillingness to yield to his commands. This resistance against what he says. That's really what God is holding people accountable for. And so when we talk about a redemptive story, we're saying God has to step in and free us from that, okay, from our sinfulness, that that propensity to do evil, not just the actions. It's not just about not doing bad things. Even if we stop today doing bad things, we've already done a whole lot of bad things, and we still have the propensity within us to do them. So we have to be freed from that. Secondly, we talked about the idea of this is historical, now, what do I mean by historical? Well, the idea is that this is unfolding over time through different people groups, different times, different nations. And so as we read through the Bible, the, the characters may change, but really the story doesn't change. Does that make sense? So when we're reading something, we always need to read it with this idea of a redemptive historical understanding. As a matter of fact, I'm going to give you a 50 cent theological word or Bible college word. Anybody ever heard the word hermeneutics? Okay. That is a, technically it's a literary term that simply means how we interpret things. What are the rules that we use to interpret things? And um, one of the hermeneutical methods is utilizing what we call a redemptive historical method. We always read the Bible understanding that the story is redemptive first in nature. It is somehow helping us to understand how God is saving sinners. And secondly, it's unfolding over time. You know, like in uh, the New Testament where Peter says, uh, the prophets long to look into these things and see what they might be. But you are now experiencing them. That's what we're talking about. That idea that they only saw shadows. We get to see the reality. They didn't see um, the reality of the coming Messiah. But we see the, the coming Messiah in, in, on full display. Okay. Then I ask you here's, here's homework. I ask you to think about and name as many what I call dichotomies. Um And I tried to think of another word in last week. I just couldn't. But these these contrasting comparative ideas that we find in the Bible, and I'm going to give you uh, two to start out with to kind of uh, get you thinking in the right direction, if you will, or understand what I'm talking about. We have um, what I'm going to call the kingdom of earth. And then we also have the idea of the kingdom of heaven. Um, those are two things that are sort of diametrically opposed, um, and so they help us to understand difference. Let me give you uh, a, a, another one that sort of so that you don't think of it just in terms of um, a thing, but also an idea. Let's go with Darkness. and light. Those are two pretty prominent themes in the Bible, darkness and light. So now, your turn. What kinds of things did you think of as you were going through this week, um, and hopefully you didn't take advice from my wife and do other homework and not, I'm just kidding. It may not have been this week. Something that is occurring to you now. Law and grace. Law and grace. Which side would you put law on? On the left. And I'm going to change your word, if you don't mind. I'm going to put gospel over here. If that's okay. But, and maybe I'll put in parentheses grace. There's a reason why I do that. All right. We won't go into it, because that, that's a very deep, convoluted conversation. But What else? Life and death. Okay, life. Which side are we putting death on? I figured that, but I thought I'd better ask him. That's a good one. Life and death. And I'm going to... I'm going to add a word here. Earth. Um, and not that I think earth is hell. I just because sometimes those two are, are contrasted, like in kingdom of man, kingdom of heaven, that kind of thing. What else? Okay, that's a good one. Uh, which which way? What else? Um, can somebody... There's some extra chairs here. If you, Or did you guys find a place? Okay, great. Okay. Somebody had their hand up. Linda. Okay. Lie. Uh, I'm guessing you want lie over here. Lie. Deception. Truth. Yes? Doubt and faith. Ah. Can I change your word a little bit? How about belief and unbelief? Is that okay? Which side would you put belief on? Okay. Okay. Can't bend over and write that. Let me look at... There are tons of these. I don't want you to think we're going to get... Um, here's here's one for you Uh, how about natural spiritual that's one that Paul brings up the natural man, spiritual man, yes yeah um, let's do it this way mortal and corruptible And then we'll do Immortal, (laughs) if I could spell, and Incorruptible. Hopefully you guys can remember what that means. Let's see, Um, Old and New, Old Covenant, New Covenant, Old Wineskins, New Wineskins. I've got at the top, Light and Darkness in the blue. Yes, sir? Condemnation and forgiveness. Good. Um, Condemnation. Forgiveness. There there really is a reason that we're doing this. It's not. um, Oh, there's a bunch of parables in, I think they're in Luke it's a parable. There's a chance it's in Luke. Um, where people lose things and they find things. So lost and found. <laughs> Kathy and I walk by where you drop your kids off and there's that lost and found for the kids. I, I got a chuckle out of that. So lost, found. Um, and I'm, I'm just checking my notes just to make sure we... ah um, Think of the song Amazing Grace. No. Never mind. Forget that. Think of John chapter 9. Anybody know John chapter 9? The disciples come to Jesus and say, Jesus, who sinned, this guy or his father? Because he can't see. Blind versus perceiving or or seeing. I like the word perceiving because that's the word John uses. Um. Sin versus righteousness, that's a big one. Um, The book of Ecclesiastes, wisdom, foolishness. Okay? Now, the point of this exercise is not to see how many of these we could name, because we could probably go on all day. My hope is you are seeing a pattern. What is the pattern? Oh, we forgot a big one. Um, Genesis through Malachi. Old Testament, Old Covenant. Um, Matthew through Revelation, New Covenant. So, Old and New. Uh, we may have talked about Old and New, but we didn't specifically talk about that. So, what's the, what is the um, pattern that we're seeing? Good and evil. Okay, good and evil. This idea of opposing things. Dichotomies. The point is, what's that? i before and after. Okay, before and after. The point is there is a structure that the Bible is written about. Not only is it a redemptive historical story, but it is a story that looks at both before and after. That looks at the problem and the solution. Does that make sense to you? The the one that sort of sets up the reality, and then one that sort of sets up what God has done. Now, the reason that this is important is we're going to see this when we get to looking at these different scenes of Scripture. We're going to see, when when we see them, we're going to immediately know, are we talking about old or new? Are we talking about law or gospel? Are we talking about uh, unbelief or belief? And so that helps us almost as a guidepost as we're going through the Scriptures and we're like, okay, here we are, we're studying... Um, in the early chapters of the book of Exodus and we're reading about Israel enslaved and, and we're realizing this is part of the problem. This is part of the, the situation that mankind finds themselves in. And it is picturing for me the reality of, of life in the natural state. And then the Israelites are, are brought through the Red Sea. They're, they're released and eventually they enter the, the promised land and we're beginning to see the, the new life. This reality in which we live. And then there's problems associated with living in the new life. We're going to talk about that. So hopefully you can see that. So we begin to notice that the scripture is arranged around a contrasting structure. This helps us to understand the story which is about redemption. The the reality is it's very easy for us to focus on redemption without seeing the problem. Let me state that a different way. It is very, very easy for us to talk about, speak about, and preach the gospel over and over and over again, but forget that people don't understand why the gospel is necessary unless the law crushes us. Paul says it this way, I'm not even conscious of what it means to covet until the law says do not covet. That's how I know I've strayed out of bounds. Um, So there are a couple of roads in western Texas that have no posted speed limit. You can drive, I mean, I'm talking two-lane highways, and you might pass a rattlesnake. That might be about the only thing that you pass. But literally, there is no posted speed limit. You can drive as fast as you want. And there are times that you're driving 85 mile an hour and people are blowing by you like you're standing still. However, once you get closer to a town, you begin to see You know, the white sign, it's got the black thing around it, and it says 75 mile an hour, and then 65, and then 55. What does that mean? Joe said, don't get caught. No, (laughs) what's that? Speed limit. Speed limit. It means, hey, there's a restriction here. You had no restriction. Now there is a restriction. That's the law, isn't it? It comes along and it puts a a restriction, an understanding of where we can go and where we can't go. Um, Where was the restriction in the garden? Okay, the command of God. That really was a, a covenant that God made with Adam and he said, I want you to obey me. I want your obedience as your creator, as the sovereign of the universe, the one who is the cause of all things. You are beholden... You didn't make yourself. You didn't create yourself. Why... And I don't want to... Step on toes, ruffle feathers. But... The greatest assault... Against Christianity... Is what we might call naturalism. The idea... Or materialism. The idea that everything came... From nothing. It violates... First of all... One of the... principal rules of science. Out of nothing comes nothing. But... This idea that... There's no moral lawgiver... And that's the point that Romans 1 makes, is mankind tried to cast off God. That's what that's what Adam did. And so you begin to see all these problems. Okay, so um, I've mentioned a couple times this, this idea of dichotomies. If you don't know what that word means, I, I mean, I didn't know how to define it, so I actually just looked up a, a def. I mean, I know what it means, but I wasn't sure how I would put that. Here's a... a uh, I think this was Webster's, a division or contrast between two things that are represented as being opposed or entirely different. I like that. These two things are utterly different. That's the reality of the structure of the scripture. There are two things that are being presented to us, and it doesn't matter which one of these you're looking at on the list. They are polar opposites, right? 180 degrees, um, we can't say as far as the east is from the west because eventually you join up, right? But the idea is, you know, as far apart as you can get on a line. So um, I'm trying to think. Do you guys want to look at a bunch of um, Bible passages or you just want me to read them and refer to them? What's easiest for you? I don't, I don't want you to be flipping and miss if you would rather... Well, let me, let me say it this way. If you would rather sit and listen. You're welcome to do that. But if you want to look at some, we're going to look at some. How's that? So let's start. Open your Bible right up to the middle. It should flop open to Psalms. We're going to look at Psalms. uh, I just violated my own. Psalms 1, Psalms 2. Psalm 1, Psalm 2. I'll get it eventually. So a little bit about Psalm 1 and Psalm 2. It, most scholars believe that this was originally written as a introduction. In other words, the Psalter was complete. And then Psalm 1 and Psalm 2 was put. Uh, it was originally one psalm that was later divided by translators of the Bible. But it was originally one psalm. And it, it served as a kind of a table of contents of the entirety of the book of the Psalter. The, the book of Psalms. And hopefully you're familiar with it. Because we're not going to read the whole thing. I just want to make allusion to a couple things. The, Psalm 1 opens with. Uh, I, w- I want you to think of it this way. Psalm 1 opens with the view of what somebody is going to look like in the kingdom of heaven. I have that problem all the time brother. Don't worry about it. So. Psalm 1 starts with this idea. How happy. How happy is the man who does these things, right? They they, they don't, uh, let's see, they don't walk in the advice of the wicked. They don't stand in the path of sinners. They don't sit in the company of mockers. Instead, his delight is in the law of the Lord. Do you see how the Psalter is beginning by pointing out that the person who is listening to God is blessed Because he is observing the commands of God. He's he's dwelling and sitting in them. They're instructing him. Drop down to verse 4. The wicked are not like this. Instead they are like chaff that the wind blows away. Immediately you see the dichotomy. We immediately turn. We talk about how good it is to be renewed and to be listening, and then immediately we turn to, here's what happens if you're wicked, if you don't obey. It, life is going to come to an end. And then verse 6, uh, For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to ruin. Okay, so that's kind of the opening salvo, if you will, that the psalmist writes, and, he, and he's uh, trying to give us an idea of the difference between these two. Hopefully you see that, that contrast. If you don't... Um, I don't know what to tell you. No, I'm just kidding. Then you go on to Psalm 2, and immediately there is a background to this. Why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers conspire together against the Lord and his anointed one. Let's tear off their chains and throw their ropes off of us. The one enthroned in heaven laughs. The Lord ridicules them. Then he speaks to them in his anger and terrifies them in his wrath. I have installed my king on Zion, my holy mountain um, drop down to verse 10. So now kings be wise, receive instruction. You judges of the earth, serve the Lord with residential awe and rejoice with trembling. Pay homage to the son or he will be angry and you will perish in your rebellion for his anger may ignite at any moment. All who take refuge in him are happy. And so that sort of completes the thought. Remember we started with happiness. Well, how do we get to that happiness? The end of Psalm 2, all who take refuge in him are happy. It it sort of comes full circle. But in the middle, we have this idea of the kings of the earth conspiring against that. And what we begin to notice is this, the, the very first one that I put up here is this idea that there is a realm in which mankind thinks he's in charge. We call it the kingdom of earth. Um, let's let's go to Genesis chapter nine. Um, so just peruse a little bit. What's what's happening in Genesis chapter nine? Um, well, let's Genesis chapter six, seven, and eight. What's what's going on? Noah. Okay, Noah. That wickedness had grown on the earth. God tells Noah, build a boat, build an ark. And I want you to put people in. Anybody that wants to come can get in the ark. How many came? Noah's family. And and they were saved. So Noah's family is the only one that survives, right? There's a very interesting phrase that is used. Let's see. Let's go to... uh, Chapter 9, verse 1. God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. What does that sound like to you? You ever heard that before? Where'd you hear it? That's what God told Adam and Eve. There's like a reset, if you will. God puts Adam and Eve in the garden. Adam and Eve choose rebellion over God. They choose to set themselves up on the throne of authority and make their own choices. And things go bad. They go really, really bad to where God says, That's, I'm going to have to destroy this place. The iniquity has gotten so bad, I have to destroy this place. But in that process, he says, but I'm going I'm to provide a redemption or a vehicle of redemption through the judgment. See that pictured. The judgment comes, but the redemption is through that judgment. In other words, it's not as if Noah and his family were taken off the earth, God floods the earth, everybody dies and then he puts them back. They had to endure that flood but God put them in a vehicle that could withstand the floods. that makes sense? That picture is incredibly important. If you don't get your mind around anything else I say, get your mind around that. Because that is a shadow or a type of what Christ is. He is the vehicle in which we rest and we find um, security through judgment. And so, at, at uh, let's see, um, where do I want to, there, there's a lot here and I don't want to, well, let me just keep reading in at the chap, uh, chapter 9 verse 2. The fear and terror of you will be in every living creature of the earth, every bird of the sky, every creature that crawls on the ground, and all the fish of the sea. They are placed under your authority. This is the exact same thing that God told Adam. And so here, God is making this covenant. Now, this is where he eventually goes on. He says, I'm going to put my bow in the sky, the rainbow. And when I look on it, I'm going to remember I made a covenant with you, and I'm never going to flood the earth again. There have been times here recently we've questioned that, right? Lord, you, you, you see the rainbow, right? Let it stop raining. But God says, I'm never going to flood the earth again. I'm not going to destroy all of life, because this is the covenant I'm making with you. And in this covenant, he is establishing a kingdom in which man rules man has authority now understand God has ultimate authority over this kingdom but mankind is put in charge of it as a matter of fact um, you, I, I will just encourage you to read this perhaps sometime this week I think it's uh, it's in the book of Daniel I think it's Daniel chapter 7 Daniel has this vision of of all of these, uh, of a statue, and the statue is made of different things, and when you get to the interpretation, the interpretation is these are different kingdoms. These are different ruling powers, and one represents the Babylonians, one represents the Medes and the Persians, one represents this unnamed, the the Greek empire that hadn't come yet, one uh, represents the Roman empire that had not yet come, and what happens This little tiny rock is going to come and smash the feet and destroy the whole thing. There is a picture, if you will, from Genesis, Genesis 9, all the way to Daniel 7 of this idea of mankind building their kingdoms. Remember we got the Tower of Babylon in here? We're not going to look at that. That's mankind trying to build their kingdom. Then all of a sudden we get to this point Where God, we hear this prophecy of what is going to come in the future. This little tiny, seemingly insignificant thing is going to crush the power structure that is. The stone that the builders rejected becomes the cornerstone. See the imagery? And so what we have here is this idea of God establishing a, a kingdom that mankind has authority over, but mankind is also going to be held responsible for. Mankind is going to be held responsible. Matter of fact, he goes on in this. He says, I'm going to require the lifeblood of anybody who takes a life. There's going to be accountability in this. It's not just free reign. You're going to rule over. As a matter of fact, if a, uh, an animal uh, gores a man, I'm going to require that animal's life. Because life is precious. And then eventually, we are going to see in uh, if you've ever studied the book of Matthew, when Jesus came preaching, he came, John came preaching first, and then Jesus comes preaching, and what does he say? Uh, Jesus or John? The kingdom of heaven is at hand. As a matter of fact, he even tells the Pharisees, if you had known that today is the day of your visitation, the the kingdom is coming to you, you wouldn't be saying and doing what you're doing. And so, we have this uh, dichotomy set up of these two kingdoms, uh, this, this earthly kingdom, uh, and then also the heavenly kingdom. Um, but then we see the what do I want to call it? The embryo of the kingdom of heaven in Genesis chapter 12. What happens in Genesis 12? Okay. God calls Abraham. And God says to Abraham, Abraham, I'm going to make of you a great nation. And Abraham's like, okay, I'm going to leave where I'm at, and I'm going to go. So God calls out of humanity this people group that he is going to create into a nation. Why does he do that? Why does God create the Jewish nation or the Hebrew nation? You ever think of that? Why didn't God just pick somebody out of all the kingdoms of the earth. Out of you, all nations of the earth chose to bless them? Okay, so he was going to use one to bless the many. I think he wanted to show because the culture was so uh, different. He wanted to create something new. He wanted them to be his people. He wanted them to look different than the surrounding nations. Okay, let me go back to our Uh, definition of redemptive, referring to the necessity of divine action to free sinners from their sinfulness. God had to act in order to provide someone or something that could be the redemptive vehicle. It was going to have to be representative of man, but it was not going to be a man. It was going to be the God-man. And this is, in the Old Testament, we don't get that. And so here's Abraham in Genesis chapter 12 and 13 and 14 and 15. He's like, well, God, you say I'm going to have a great nation. You say it's going to be as numerous as the stars of the sky. All I have is a slave. He's going to be my heir. God says, no, you're going to have a son. And they laugh. You mean to tell me you're going to make us have a baby at the age we are? That's what Isaac means, laughter. And yet God says, no, you're going to have a baby. And that baby is going to be the fulfillment of the promise. And through him, I'm going to reckon all people. Um, Genesis chapter 12, verse 1 says, The Lord said to Abram, Go out from your land, your relative's house, and your father's house to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. What is assumed in a great nation? What do you have to have to have a nation? People? Land? Land? Law? You got to have those three. God was going to do that. If you read through the Old Testament, you will see God giving a people, giving them a land with a law. Um I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and curse anyone who treats you with contempt. And all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So we have this um, set up, if you will, the idea that, okay, God sets up this kingdom of the earth. Mankind is going to be in charge of this. They're going to be everything's going to answer to them. And then over here he says, but I'm going to start a new kingdom. And this new kingdom is going to be the thing that blesses all of those. In And Psalms, uh, Psalm 2 even told us this kingdom, the kingdom of earth, is always going to be waging war against the kingdom of heaven. They do not want to be ruled and under the auspices of the king of heaven. Think of Revelation chapter 13, 12, 13. The great dragon, the war in heaven. It's picturing for us all of this history in apocryphal language. Okay, turn to the book of Romans. Romans chapter 9. That's the background to where we're going to go. Remember, God has established the kingdom of earth. And out of the kingdom of earth, he is starting this new kingdom. This new kingdom is going to be a spiritual kingdom. It's going to be a kingdom that is going to be his doing. Nobody else's. Um, and it's very easy to think at some point, well, what happened? Why, why did Israel not get it? When Jesus came and walked among them, um, John chapter 1 says, he came to those who were his own and his own did not receive him. Why didn't they receive him? And so there's this questioning that goes on. Romans chapter 9 verse 6 Uh, Now, it is not as though the word of God has failed, but not all who are descended from Israel are Israel. Neither are all of Abraham's children his descendants. On the contrary, your offspring will be traced through Isaac. That is, not the children by physical descent who are God's children, but the children of the promise are considered to be the offspring. Have you ever looked in the mirror in the morning when you're getting ready and you're fixing your hair, doing whatever you do, and look in the mirror and see your father, Abraham, in the mirror? If you are a child of the promise, you are a descendant of Abraham in God's eyes. You are reckoned through Isaac, the child of the promise that God gave, through him. And so those same promises that God made to Abraham Those same ideas that God called Abraham out of and into are yours. See, that's why we struggle in life. Because we have been called out of the kingdom of the earth and into the kingdom of heaven, but we don't reside in the kingdom of heaven yet. We are foreigners, aliens. Our citizenship is in heaven When Christ is revealed, it will be revealed who we truly are. And so what we do is we live in the reality of the kingdom of heaven, drawing those values into the kingdom of earth, but it's like a fish swimming upstream. That's why it's hard. That's why Christianity is difficult. And what this class, what we're going to do with the remainder of this class is try and answer that question, well... What's the point? What, what are we learning from this? I think the Bible gives two answers. I'll give you hope. Oh, I won't bury the lead. It's to produce faith and endurance. When you get to the book of Revelation, who is the one that is worthy? Does anybody know the words that John uses? It's the one that. Well, no. Yes, there is the lamb that was slain, but it's the one who overcomes by the word of their testimony and the blood of the Lamb. It's the one who endures, who stays. Um, George Sweeting, who was the um, chancellor of Moody Bible Institute when we went there, used to say, it's the one who's got stick to I love that. You don't give up. It gets hard. There's pain. There's suffering. And all of a sudden, these These litany of things come into play uh, in the scriptures. We grieve when death happens, but we do not grieve as the world does. We grieve with hope. Why? Because there is a greater kingdom awaiting for us. There is a place in which we are called to and we are going. And so this structure uh, teaches us that there are these, these two kingdoms, and it's God's plan to redeem and rescue us from the earthly kingdom And bring us into the kingdom of his glorious light. Now I want to help you see this in Paul's writing. Um, A couple years ago, uh, Jim Dalrymple, Elijah Daly, myself, I think it was just the three of us, taught through the book of Colossians. Um, And there's been several times that I've gone back to the book of Colossians because uh, there, there were things that both Elijah and Jim taught me and things that the Lord taught me as we're going through this, and and just the the uh, the beauty of Paul's argument in the book of Colossians to me is is something um, it's heartwarming. It gives hope, and and the way that I want to do this is a little bit different. And I don't recommend that you uh, often you know go through and read read the scriptures in this way. But what we are going to do is we're going to read through, but. We're not going to read the whole book. I'm going to pick different verses. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to try and link Paul's writing his his line of argument as we go through. Uh, to to give you an idea of what Paul is saying and hopefully you will see what I'm talking about. Before we do that, any comments, questions? Anybody like, "I have no idea what you're talking about. You lost me at good morning. How are you?" Any comments, questions, things that maybe occurred to you? I was thinking when you were talking about the beginning of the new nation and Abraham calling him out, like, (laughs) we screwed it up again. Mm I mean, from the very beginning of even that nation, it's not about us doing everything right, because even Abraham and Sarah, with having Ishmael, you know, taking matters into Heart and grace. I'm just so grateful for it. Mm-hmm. It's even, you know, when God, you know, we see it in Genesis, we see it after Noah, we see it here. Like, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Give us enough time, we'll mess it up. That when I was a kid, we used to sing that song. You know, be careful, little eyes. What you see. Be careful, little hands. What you do. <laughs> doesn't matter if I'm careful or not I'm still gonna screw it up right I mean that that's really the message of the Bible it it doesn't matter I'm gonna mess it up that's why I need a savior that's why I need a vehicle of redemption that's why I need my savior so other comments yes okay Of the earth, take is um. Yes. Prefigured, but his anointed is the Old Testament term for what would be come to come to be known by the scribes as the the Messiah, the anointed one, the one that God would choose. Yes. That's who he's talking about. Christ is prefigured there, much like um, Psalm twenty-two. Christ is prefigured even out on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Um, so that is a you know that's actually what Jesus quotes, and he he gives um, texture, if you will, to that text. Psalm twenty-three we all know and love, right? Psalm twenty-three: The Lord is my shepherd. What was David? And what does he call the Lord? My shepherd. Even the great shepherd, or even a good shepherd needs a great shepherd. When you read David, you should read David as a picture, as a shadow of the coming Christ. He is a coming shepherd, John 10. He is a coming king. He defeats enemies. You should read David as a prefiguring, a picture of Christ, a greater and coming Christ. Yes. Well, I to comment on. First, it says, to me, this whole speaks to me in terms of despair. Mm, yes. Yeah. And, you know, that's, so one of the places we're going to go with this is eventually looking at the wilderness. Anybody ever feel like you've been in the wilderness? It's dry. It's weary. You're thinking, Lord, just take me. Uh, my wife's grandmother passed away this week at 96 and we got to see her two months ago and she was she was ready. Um, she was a believer but it felt like wilderness to her. You know, the body was failing. She couldn't do things. She When she was 90, she was walking the Great Wall of China and doing things like that around that time. I mean, she was doing all kinds of things and so it is hard. But I think what we fail to recognize is that God is always using those things in some way. You know, here's, here's what we do. We see somebody struggling. What is your name again? I'm saying, Dan. We see Dan struggling. We come along. Well, you know Romans eight twenty eight, brother. The Lord is working all things for your good. That's how we do that kind of thing, right? When Paul says, no, just, just sit and grieve with him. Just sit with him. The reality is, yes, I am doing something good. But we'll never be able to understand it. Why? Isaiah, my ways are much higher than your ways. Your thoughts are much higher than my thoughts. We cannot see eternity rolled out like a scroll like God does. We cannot see the beginning from the end. And so to us, it feels like wilderness. To God, it's just the pathway to the promised land. Do you ever think of the wanderings of the Israelites like that? That was nothing more than the pathway to the promised land. Um, William Lane, very famous Bible commentator from, I think, Western Kentucky Theological Seminary, used to say that the wilderness is where God calls his children into relationship. If you think about it, every significant character of the Bible at some place or time was called into the wilderness. Abraham The Israelites, they were called into captivity. Jesus was called into captivity. John was called into captivity. What happens to the church when persecution happens? They're dispersed, and then it grows. The blood of the martyrs becomes seed for the church. Okay, so here's what I want you to do. Check the time, I guess. Oh, we're good. I want you to take... Uh, Just a couple minutes at your table. And I want you all to share a... um, Let me say it this way. I want you to share a thought that you have learned today or a thought that God has pressed upon your heart. Um, And you're going to have to be fairly brief about this because I'm only going to give you like two or three minutes. But just something that maybe... Like, like a diamond, God has shifted it slightly and you're beginning to view his, his word and the reality of his plan in a slightly different way. Okay? Take a couple minutes and do that and then we're going to look at this in the book of Colossians. Okay. Um, so I, I'm going to give you your homework assignment right here, right now. Because I know some of you probably didn't get a chance to share. That's okay. This was just to spark a little discussion, kind of get you comfortable with one another, those kinds of things. I want you to be, to prepare this next week mentally to share those thoughts with the, with the group of something you're being challenged with. We're not going to put you on the spot. Everybody's not going to have to do it if you volunteer. But I want you to think through as if you were going to be put on the spot. Maybe you choose to write it out, journal it, but what is it that God is teaching you about scripture that maybe you had never known before, seen before, and that you are grateful that he's reminding you, uh, whatever that might be. Okay? So that's your homework assignment for next week. Everybody got that? And then, like I said, I will ask for volunteers next week uh, at the beginning of class if somebody wants to share. So prepare to share what you are learning, maybe as a quick way to say that. Okay, so what we're going to do, as I said, I'm going to uh, read some, some excerpts from the book of Colossians that I think Paul beautifully captures what we've been talking about. And um, I want you to see it without all the, you know, you could sit down and read through the book of Colossians and might get lost in all the words. I'm going to, we're going to uh, kind of skip around. Before we do that, let's pray, shall we? Lord, we pray that you would make the book live to us. We pray that you would show us yourself and ourselves so that we might see your glory. And seeing your glory, Lord, we pray that you would show us our Savior that we desperately need. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, Colossians chapter 1, verse 9. For this reason also, since the day we heard this, we haven't stopped praying for you. We are asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will, and all wisdom and spiritual understanding, so that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power, according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience, joyfully giving thanks to the Father, who has enabled you to share in the saints' inheritance in the light. He has rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of the Son he loves. In him we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Uh, Chapter 2, and I'll start reading at verse 4. I am saying this so that no one will deceive you with arguments that sound reasonable. For I may be absent in the body, but I am with you in spirit. rejoicing to see how well ordered you are in the strength of your faith in Christ Jesus. Verse 8. Be careful that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deceit based on human tradition, based on the elements of the world rather than Christ. Uh, Chapter 2, verse 20. If you died with Christ to the elements of this world, why do you live as if you still belong to the world? Why do you submit to its regulations? Chapter 3, verse 12. Therefore, as God's chosen ones, holy and dearly loved, put on compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving one another, if anyone has a grievance against one another, just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you are also to forgive. Above all, put on love. Which is the perfect bond of unity. And let the peace of Christ. To which you were called. To to which you were also called. In one body. Rule your hearts. And be thankful. Obviously there's a whole lot more. To the book of Colossians than, than that. But what you see. Is. There's two transactions. That are happening. Paul says that God has. Rescued us from. The kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of His beloved Son, into the kingdom of heaven. This, <coughs> excuse me, the kingdom of light. And he he did this because that was His plan, that was His will. And so Paul is praying for them that they would understand that 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 was God's plan all along. But then notice he also says. But there's a responsibility, and that is that you drag these kingdom of heaven values back into the kingdom of earth. Put on compassion and humility and love and forgiveness and forbearance. So we live right here as strangers and aliens in in the world that we are. This world shouldn't fit us. You know, I I made the comment last week, and I, I saw some of the, I think I made this comment here. Uh, the older I get, I had a birthday yesterday, the older I get, the more this world just doesn't seem to fit. I don't fit it. And it's not that the world is changing around me. See, that's where we want to go. This isn't the world I used to, if we could just go back to the 40s and 50s or the 20s, it's not the problem. The reality is, God is changing us. And we find that we fit less and less in a world that has values that are not the same as ours. See, that's the real problem. We don't need to go back. We need to go forward. And what God is calling us to is is to bring these values and let those values be transformative so that when we are suffering in the wilderness and we see difficulty and somebody says, how can you suffer and be thankful? How can you be joyful? What is the source of hope that you have? Peter says, be ready to give an answer for the hope that you have. You see, it's it's not because we're out there standing on a street corner holding a sign that says turn or burn. It's when life weighs us down and suffering happens and difficulty happens, the light of the gospel shines in us. The love of Christ shines through us and people are drawn to that. You, You know, Uh, John makes this point. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness didn't like it. But there's a certain attractiveness to it. Have you ever known someone who was so gentle, so at peace in the face of suffering that there was something that you respected, you were in awe of, you just couldn't quite put your finger on it. But there was this attraction to that. That's what we are meant to be as someone who is put on display. So the real challenge is that although we have been transferred into the kingdom of heaven as God's adopted children, we live in this earthly kingdom with all its travail. And how do we learn to live in this earthly kingdom with all its travail? Well, Paul gives us the answer. Verse 16, Let the word of Christ dwell richly among you in all wisdom, teaching, and admonishing one another through psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. You see, it's our gathering, it's our community, it's our coming together in small groups, in tables, on Friday nights, whenever it is, that encourages us to keep on keeping on, to develop stick And when we are hurting, when we are grieving, we can reach out to others and say, help me, I just don't think I can do this bear one another's burdens. We are called to pull the kingdom of heaven values into a world that rejects God's kingdom. Don't think that you're going to be applauded when you do this. As we go through and we look at these scenes from now on, it's going to help us to remember but we're also going to recognize that we're not alone. Um, We read Hebrews 11 apparently the memory is the second thing to go <laughs> I'm having a hard time remembering things Hebrews 11 we read about the heroes of the faith well Paul says you know we we have all these witnesses all these encouragers well they're not with us so how do we have them we have them as the as we read as we hear about their difficulty and how they overcame It encourages us. I read, I like to read stories of hymns. Does anybody else like hymns in here? It's okay if you don't. One of my favorite hymns is the old rugged cross. Does everybody know at least that, kind of how that song goes? So there's a line, um, and and I may, because apparently I'm old now and I can't remember stuff. Um, Help me remember. I will cling to the old rugged cross till at last my trophies I lay down. And so we tend to think of that as, uh, you know, I, I'm holding on to the cross, and in the future, I'm going to lay my trophies down. And I read this story that the the author who penned those words didn't mean it that way at all. It was the tighter that I cling to the cross, the less room there is to hold on to my trophies here. And those trophies fall away. So like Paul, the, the verse that they referenced is, casting away all those things from my past. Those things that I considered something to be positive for me. I lay them aside that I might know Christ. So we cling to the vessel of our redemption. And in clinging to the vessel of our redemption we find hope. Now, where we're going to go with the rest of this is helping us to, okay, that's great Mike but how do I use the Bible to help me be encouraged? And we're going to look at these different scenes and some of the ideas that they help us with that even though we're walking in captivity uh, even though we're walking through this period of the wilderness or even though uh, as David says we're walking through the valley of the shadow of death I'm not going to fear any evil and so we will be looking at some of those things as we uh, progress on through the rest of this class and then kind of tying them back to this overarching story so we're going to kind of shift here Uh, and and begin to look at more of what the class is actually about which is all of these scenes, these motifs, uh, these backdrops if you will, um, like a play. Any prayer requests that since we're talking about helping each other through life prayer requests, maybe things that you are dealing with uh, could even be things that we can give thanks for. We know we're going to be praying for Brittany's uh, job uh, or the the finalization of the interview process. Uh Paula's mom, uh, again, she's going to be in rehab for a week. Um anything else that we can be praying for? I have a friend named she just lost her mother recently and she's kinda of going through a hard time just kind of praying that she can freeze and kinda of work through that loss. You said a friend's mother? Mm-hmm. Anything else? I would just appreciate prayers for my grandmother's services tomorrow. Um, I have a lot of family who has chosen the other kingdom, and just that it would be a time where they're, I don't know, that they're impressed with the importance of the kingdom of heaven. So I'm just going to say the Harner family, um, because that's my wife's uh, extended family. Anything else? Life's just peachy for everyone, huh? Let's pray, shall we? Father, we are incredibly grateful um, that we can come before you um, in our distress. God, you don't shy away from our lament. You welcome it. Because our lament means that we are coming to you because we know we have hope. Lord, we know that there are those in this world who suffer and who struggle lord i think of your church around the world who is meeting in secret because they can't meet in the open like we can god we pray for their faith we pray that their hearts would be encouraged we pray that you might give them a glimpse of your majesty knowing that their victory is won Father, we pray for those who are imprisoned for their faith. Help them to hold on, to cling deeply to your word, your truth, the fact that you are coming to set all things right, that there will be a reckoning a day when as much as the kings of the earth choose to scoff and laugh, the sun will come. Father, we pray for those who we know who are suffering. We think of uh, Janie, Lord, just the difficulties that are happening there. We don't understand all of the details, but we know that you do. We rest in the fact that you are sovereign. We rest in the fact that you are aware of the situation. We pray that through your spirit you might minister and send others to minister. Father, we pray for the Harner family as they gather to grieve the loss of a matriarch. Lord, that they would recognize a life well-lived, that they would recognize hope. God, more importantly than anything, we we pray that they might recognize you. That you are calling us into a, a kingdom of glorious light where you sit at the center, enthroned, untouched by the stains of the world, the travail of the world. God, we know that you are bringing all things to fruition for a purpose. We rest in that knowledge. We believe. Help our unbelief. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks again for checking out this podcast from Christ Church of Ornogo. We hope that this teaching is helping you discover completeness in Jesus and encourages you to help others do the same. If you're interested in learning more about Christ Church, visit us online at cco.church.